So Psalm 84, to the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Bakar, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of God. Do you know, these days, if you watch any TV, you'll know that there's no shortage of TV shows about homes. Uh, so whether it's shows about renovating houses or uh, buying houses, selling houses, uh, building houses, or just admiring a house, pretty much 24-7 you can find something to watch uh, related to uh, houses. You know, everything from better homes and gardens to uh, the block, um, escape to the country. All of these shows, they, they find a very wide audience and they've been running for many years. Uh, and what gives many of these TV shows such appeal is that they all capture something that uh, is very deeply rooted in the human heart. It's that longing for a place to call home, but not just any old house, longing for a place of beauty, a place of peace and comfort and rest. Uh, everyone has that deep desire <clears throat> for a place that would truly satisfy, somewhere where we can finally feel settled for good. And that's actually what this psalm essentially celebrates. Uh, this is a song about the longing for the ultimate dwelling place, uh, longing for the forever home. However, this psalm, it actually recognizes that the true home that we really seek, it cannot be found unless it's bound up with the very presence of God. And so we actually need to let this psalm reshape our longings and reshape our hopes and dreams uh, about life and what we're seeking after in this life. And so let's look at uh, the teaching of Psalm 84. It's quite easy to follow. It actually has three sections, which are indicated there by that Hebrew word, salah. Uh, I don't know what that word means, but each section has a summary statement of blessing in it. Uh, in the first and third section, the statement of blessing comes at the end of the section, but in the second part, it's stated there at the beginning. So it actually makes this psalm very easy to follow. 
and very easy to understand. And we can actually sum it up under these three headings. So in verses one to four, you have the longing for home. In verses five to eight, the journey to home. And then in verses nine to 12, the guarantee of home. So let's look at these three sections. Uh, first, we see the longing for home in verses one to four. And in this section, you can actually feel uh, that the deep longing, especially in the opening um, two verses, uh, where the writer says, how lovely is your dwelling place. O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And so this is the language of a love poem. Uh, this is an intense expression of the heart of someone who loves God and therefore longs to be with him. Someone who longs to be in God's presence, in God's home. Uh, he deeply longs to be in the dwelling place of the Lord of hosts. Now, God's dwelling place in that day, as we've been seeing in this series, uh, was in the temple in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, that was the one place on earth where you could go and meet God personally, have that personal uh, relationship with him. And that's why the writer longs to be there. In fact, there's almost a sense of envy about how you know, he could visit the temple, but there's birds who don't just visit, they actually get to live there. See verse 3. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Do you know, when I lived in the country, I owned a, um, an old farmhouse uh, and we weren't the only residents there. I think there must have been at least 20 uh, sparrow families living in the roof. Just couldn't get rid of them. And just outside the kitchen window, there were two swallow nests that were, you could actually reach into them, they were so low. Um, but, you know, these, these sort of birds, they love buildings. And here we see they happen to find a home in the temple of the Lord Almighty. They don't just visit, they live there. Uh, you know, later in the Bible, um, as Jesus tells us, that sparrows were considered the most worthless of creatures. Uh, we see that in Matthew 10 verse 29. Or, and perhaps we could, we could say that swallows seem to be the most restless of creatures. Have you ever w watched a swallow? They just fly around and around all day. They, they seem to hardly ever stop. And yet here we see that both have found a home. Both have found a nesting place, a place to dwell and to raise a family in the presence of the living God. The worthless and the restless have found their place of welcome and rest. And this is really, a, it's a beautiful picture of the reality that, that every human heart longs for and yet looks for in all the wrong places. But these birds have found their home in the only place where the human soul can actually find rest, the true home, the satisfaction of our souls. You know, it's like Augustine so famously said, uh, you have made us for yourselves, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Or as verse four puts it, kind of in a similar way, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. So blessed there, it means forever satisfied. Forever satisfied are those who dwell in your house. See, this is what we were created for, to dwell with the Lord himself. 
Now, the temple um, in the city, as we've seen in this series, it was always pointing to something far greater. And it always pointed, first of all, to Jesus himself, the Lord dwelling with his people. And Jesus did say, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, the restless find their rest in Christ. And ultimately, the temple pointed uh, to the eternal dwelling place of God, uh, when, when his people will live with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. That's our eternal home. And, and Jesus also spoke of that as well. When he said to his disciples in John 14, in my father's house are many rooms. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So my father's house, that's where every longing is fulfilled. And, you know, that's the complete opposite of what all those TV shows I mentioned at the start are actually saying. Uh, for example, one house show that I do like to watch uh, is that show called Grand Designs. Uh, it's been running for um, a very long time and it's a show, it's always the same, that just follows a couple usually as they go about building their dream home, like from start to finish, from planning all the way to um, moving in. And every episode, it's, it's virtually exactly the same, uh, all these dramas along the way, but it always ends the same. They, they uh, inside their home, they've got these uh, sweeping visuals of this extremely elaborate house. All the colors are perfect, the lighting is perfect, and the host interviews the couple, and they talk about how happy they are and how satisfied they are. They're now living happily ever after. It's a great show, really enjoy it. Um, but I do find that I have to be wary of the subtext in this show, because the subtext seems to be that the only way you will be fulfilled in life is if you too build your dream home. It seems to be saying, like just from the way the host, I can't remember his name, but the way he talks, it's, he seems to be saying that this is what life is all about. Finding your forever home here. And the show even ends with um, that heavenly music as they have little scenes of, of the family happily enjoying their, their new dream home. But you know, it's all an illusion. It's a complete illusion. I mean, even on the show, not every dream uh, home turns out to be a dream come true. Uh, it's actually quite telling that, that quite a few, I've noticed, uh, couples actually get divorced along the way in trying to achieve their dream home. And uh, the show, it always focuses on all the financial pressure that they're under, which is probably what part of the reason for uh, all those divorces. Um, but one thing the show doesn't do is follow the couple well after they're living in the home. And how does that financial pressure, how does it all work out in the long run? Uh, they must be under it for, for ages. And then of course it doesn't follow all the maintenance that comes with having a, a huge home. Uh, and, and of course the changing circumstances, which means that uh, most people end up having to move anyway. Uh, and another thing, <laughs> uh, you know, it doesn't show for obvious reasons the fact that in the end, it's not a forever home. There's no such thing as a forever home in this present age, in this fallen world. Because in the end, no home lasts. And even if the home outlasts us, we don't last. It all ends at the grave. 
And so there's no true lasting home in this fallen world. That deep longing for home, constantly searching for that forever home, it's never finally satisfied in this life. And so what does that mean? It means that C.S. Lewis was actually right when he wrote, I, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And that's actually the point of this psalm. We were created to dwell in the presence of God, with God forever. Our primary purpose is to worship God and enjoy Him forever. And we can't satisfy that desire, that purpose, that, that longing. We can't satisfy that no matter how much we worship and enjoy created things. No matter how much we pour ourselves into houses and cars and possessions and, and all of these things in this present age, it will never satisfy. This psalm, it nails it by saying, blessed, truly satisfied are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. That's what life is about. That's the longing for home. It's actually the longing for God to be home with him forever. That's the longing for home. Well, second here we see in this psalm, the journey to home. And the journey to home, it's, it's in verses 5 to 8. Uh, it begins with this statement of blessing in verse 5. So blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. That's an interesting phrase. What does that actually mean? Uh, to be someone in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Well, a little bit of background will help us here. See, when this psalm was written, uh, every year there were three special festivals at the temple. So the Passover, uh, Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so for those festivals, people from all over that country would have to travel up to Jerusalem so that they could attend these festivals uh, at the temple. And uh, depending on how far away they lived, for some, this could be a journey of days. It was a huge thing, a huge part of the year, having to make this pilgrimage uh, to the city of Jerusalem to appear um, before God at the temple. But this is something that, that they would have found tremendous joy in. Why? Because they were on the highways to Zion. Every step on the journey was one step closer to Zion, to being there at the temple. And in those annual pilgrimages, the writer of this psalm, he sees a picture of something much bigger. He sees a picture of all of life, that all of life for the one who belongs to God is actually a pilgrimage to the eternal house of God, the forever home that we seek. And so this is what it means to be someone in whose heart are the highways to Zion. It means to be someone who sees all of life as a pilgrimage uh, to our heavenly home. This describes someone who's not just wandering aimlessly through life. This is someone who knows where they are going and who sees every little step as one more step on the journey to being home with God forever. Uh, this, this journey of life, it was captured so well by um, John Bunyan. You know, his famous book, Pilgrim's Progress, that perfectly sums up 
what the Christian life is like. It's, it's one long journey to the celestial city, as he put it. And that's how it's always been for God's people, even in the Old Testament. They were never finally home, always looking for something still to come. And you see that so powerfully summed up in Hebrews 11. You know that chapter where it mentions all of those people who had faith? And it ends by saying that all of these uh, were, were all looking for something better. They never arrived. They never found like they were finally home. Always looking for something better. And it's summed up most clearly with Abraham, uh, who, we're described, uh, who we're told uh, was someone who lived in a tent. Even though he was in the promised land, he still lived in a tent. Why? Because he was looking for a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. He was looking for the heavenly city. And that's how it is for all of God's people in this life. We don't look for our forever home here. We are passing through. We're, we're sojourners. We're pilgrims. Uh, we're aliens and strangers on our way to our forever home with the Lord. And this psalm actually says, blessed, eternally satisfied are those who have that in their heart, who have that journey heart, who know that I'm passing through. I'm on my way to something far better. And I wonder, is that how you think about your life? Is that how you see even every single day that another step to take toward your real home? Well, what is the journey like? What is this journey uh, through life like? Uh, and we see here in verse 6 that it's not an easy one. Verse 6 says that they go through the valley of Bacar. The valley of Bacar. Now that word Bacar, it's a Hebrew word. And it's a bit, it's a bit of a play on words because it actually, the word Bacar, it sounds like the Hebrew word for weeping. They're spelled a little bit differently, but... They sound exactly the same when you say them. And so the Valley of Bacar, uh, it sounds like it's talking about the Valley of Weeping. And when you look at the very next line, you can see that it's implied that the, the Valley of Bacar is a dry and lifeless place. Uh, this is a place of great difficulty and sadness. It's a place of struggle and pain. Uh, and look, anyone who's lived at all in this fallen world will, will know that, that that's exactly what this life is like. It's not all easy. The, the journey is not all uh, smooth walking, but you've got to go through the valley, the valley of weeping. And uh, perhaps some of you feel like you're in that valley even today, the valley of weeping. You know, for many, the last year and a half has felt like a valley of bakar. Uh, you know, just last week I heard of a, um, a Christian bloke, a young man who uh, lost his wife to, an eternal, uh, to a terminal illness. And, uh, you know, it's tragic. But the sad part was he wasn't even able to visit her as she died in hospital because of restrictions. It's madness. But what is it? This is the Valley of Bacar, the place of weeping. But see, look at how this psalm speaks into the valley of Bacar, into the, the times of weeping, it says in verse 6, as they go through the valley of Bacar, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Now, this is a poetic way of saying that when someone's heart is filled with the longing for Zion, 
that even in the valley of weeping, they find it becomes a place of refreshment. In fact, notice what it says. It says that they make it a place of springs. They make it a place of refreshment. Why? Because they have this hope in their hearts. They have something in them that transforms their circumstances. They know where they are going. They know that the, the end, the future is always bright. It's always with the Lord to be forever with him. And so with that hope in their heart, as they're looking forward on the journey, as they're taking each step, even in the valley, they find that looking to the Lord means the Lord actually meets them in the valley and refreshes them, refreshes their souls. And it, it, the, what does God do? He gives them the strength to keep going. You would think in the valley of Bacar that you'd just get lost or give up, turn back, go the other way. But no, no, God meets you. He gives you the strength to keep taking those steps, keep walking in the journey. Verse 5 actually says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. That's what God does. Whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. See, it's as you cling to the strength that God gives. That's why verse 7 actually says they go from strength to strength until each one appears before God in Zion. Now, I wonder if you have found that to be uh, the experience of your life. Um, perhaps you have been through a time of terrible suffering and there's still healing that needs to happen in your life. Uh, but as painful as that time was, you can testify that God met you in that valley of weeping and he strengthened you and refreshed you in ways that you would never experience if life was always easy. And you found tremendous joy in actually knowing God in that valley. Now, it was in the valley of weeping that you learned what God's faithfulness actually is. It was in the valley of weeping that you finally learned what God means when he says, my grace is sufficient for you. It was in the valley that you found that your longing for Zion, your longing to be with God forever, was deepened. And you found the real purpose of your life is actually in God. That's how God refreshes us. That's the strength that he gives to know him, to walk with him through the valley. And so we actually see in this section that there is great blessing, uh, the satisfaction for our soul, not only at the end, but even along the way, even in the valley. Uh, in the valley of Bakar, there is blessing. It's the blessing of drawing near to God, finding rest for our weary souls. And it's no surprise then that this section actually ends with a prayer. A very general prayer. Uh, verse 8, O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Right? That's how we take hold of the strength that God gives. That's how we reach out to him in the valley. Prayer. We cry out to him and he meets us there. And so if you feel like you're in the valley of Bakar today, you, you can make it a place of springs. You can make it that place of refreshment by drawing near to God, crying out to him. He will meet you. He will strengthen you to keep going on the journey to home. 
Say, blessed are those who have the longing for home. Blessed are those who are on the journey to home. And finally, we see the, the blessing uh, for those who are guaranteed home. That's the last section. It's the guarantee of home. Now, what is the guarantee that we will make it? What is the guarantee that when you get to the end, you'll be welcomed with open arms into the eternal dwelling of God? What is the guarantee? This last section tells us, verses 9 to 12. And the key verse is actually verse 9. Uh, verse 9 says, Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. What does it mean? Behold our shield, look on the face of your anointed. Well, back then, shield and anointed, uh, they were actually references to the king. And so this is a prayer for the king. This is a prayer that God would look on the king with favor. Uh, because to look on the face means uh, approval, acceptance. And uh, in the Old Testament context, the way it worked was that if the king enjoyed God's favor, then the whole nation would experience the blessing of the covenant. Uh, but if the king disobeyed God, if he turned away and led the people astray, if he led the nation into sin, then God's favor was removed and the curse of the covenant would fall on the nation. And what would happen if God cursed the nation? Exile. Exile means to be deported, to be taken away from their home and to be uh, displaced among the nations. Um, but do you know what the real loss of exile was? Do you know what the real grief uh, that the people experienced in exile? It wasn't just that they were displaced that they weren't at home anymore. The real loss was separation from the presence of God at the temple. That was the big heartache of exile. And this is why it was so important that the people were led by a king who obeyed God, who loved God, who walked in his ways. See, the king enjoying the favor of God, that was the guarantee that the people would have the blessing of access to God's presence. And do you see, this is so much more meaningful for us today uh, because the Hebrew word for anointed, it's actually the word Messiah. In the New Testament, it's translated the Christ. And so we know what verse 9 is really about. Uh, verse 9 is looking forward to the true king the one who would enjoy the Father's favor, the one of whom the Father would say, this is my beloved Son. With him I am well pleased. See, this is speaking of Jesus. In fact, Jesus, he is the one who lived this psalm perfectly. He's the one who loved his Father, who, who delighted in, in being in his Father's presence. He loved to be in his father's house. Remember that time when his family, uh, they journeyed to Jerusalem for one of the festivals. And on the way home, uh, they get a whole day into the journey and they're like, hey, where's Jesus? I think he was eight years old. And uh, they're looking for him, can't find him. They go back to Jerusalem and where is he? He says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He loved to be in his father's house. And Jesus is the one whose every step on the journey of life was absolutely flawless, who obeyed God perfectly, who fulfilled the law. And so he had his father's approval. Uh, look on the face of your anointed. Look on the face of Jesus with approval. And the best news is 
He is our king. He is our shield, our anointed. He is our king. And so for us to pray, behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. For us to pray that is to say to God that the favor that Jesus has as our king, that's the favor that I enjoy with you. I know I'm accepted because I'm accepted in your son. And that's further seen in this word shield. You know, Jesus is our shield. A shield's job is to protect you, right? How does a shield protect you? It protects you by taking the blow in your place. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us when he went to the cross. See, on the cross, he took the ultimate blow. He took the curse that we deserved. He took that eternal punishment that we deserve for our sin. He took the blow. He died in our place and rose again victorious. And we know that with him as our shield, we are now forever safe. And this is the only way we can enter into God's eternal dwelling. See, God's dwelling place, it's a place where no sin is welcome. But through Jesus, our sin is taken away. And therefore, if we are in him, we know that at the end, when we get to that, the very doorstep, we know that the door we swung open will be welcomed in with open arms. And this is why when Jesus spoke of going away uh, to prepare a place for his disciples, and Thomas said, but you know, how do we know the way? What's the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the guarantee of home. If you're in Jesus, you are in. You're forever welcome. And it's such a wonderful guarantee. I mean, verse 10, the, the writer, he just goes on to, to, to exclaim how great this is. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. See, that's how good our eternal home will be. It's so good. Why? Because God is there. That's the beauty of it. Uh, and verse 11, it actually assures us again that the Lord himself will get us there. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And then this section, it's summed up. Here's the summary statement. Verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. See, our confidence of getting home is not by trusting in ourselves. It's not by looking to our own strength or relying on our own efforts. It's by trusting in Jesus, relying on him. And he has done everything to make it certain. And so this psalm, it gives us a whole new perspective on life. Uh, it helps us to see what life is really about. You know, where will we find the true rest for our souls? Uh, it's not going to be in the things of this earth. It's not going to be in this present age. There's no lasting home here. The forever home, it's an illusion in this present age. Our forever home, the true longing, it's in God alone. And we will know that most fully when Jesus returns and we shall dwell with him forever. We will actually see him face to face. But until then, there's a journey to make. 
there's steps to take every day. And so let us take those steps with the strength God provides, even in the valley. Let us draw near to God, find his strength, find his strength, enable us to turn that into a place of springs. Uh, if you're in the valley today, cry out to him. Take hold of this psalm, meditate on it. Think about the eternal dwelling place, the place where every tear is wiped away forever and you will be with God in the new heavens and the new earth. See, what is this psalm about? Blessed, blessed, truly satisfied are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. The future is bright. Amen.